Let me open up in a word of prayer and then we'll get started on week one, understanding the church and what is the church. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, we have uh, today to worship and praise you. Thank you that uh, we uh, can learn and understand what is your perfect design uh, for your church uh, that we get to participate in. Lord, as a living organism, it is amazing on how the structure and the organization, the deep care, the deep love that you have uh, with this design. Lord, it is only in you and through you that we can do this. So I pray that uh, we will uh, learn more and understand more <clears throat> about you uh, today. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, does everyone have an outline? Okay, if you don't have an outline, make sure you have that. Anyone that didn't get a chance to sign in, make sure that you can do that uh, when you leave. I've got a couple of other, um, hand, well, I have another handout uh, on there, so make sure that you grab that. I will have church membership applications on week three. <laughs> so you're like, hey, I want to do this. I've gone through all of this here. Uh, maybe even next week that I'll have those out. I already have some printed up, but I want to make sure that where you guys know and understand, yeah, this is something you definitely want to do. And then you can fill that paperwork out. So, um, yeah, I think I'll do that. Uh, next week. That way then you can hand those back to me on week three. So this will be uh, the next three weeks beginning today consecutively and you need to attend all three. Even though that we're recording it, sometimes there are some situations that we're like, hey, I've got a family illness and I can't be here on a Sunday. That way then we can do that. That's a one-off communication by me or and with one of the elders. You know, to communicate that. So, all right, if you can uh, open up uh, your your word, God's word, and then also with the outline, follow along because uh, this is interactive, you know, again, strategic and purposeful in uh, having a pen, making sure you follow along so you can make those notes as well as fill in the blanks. All right, so starting off in number one, you know, understanding the church. Well, what is the church? And church is a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, The term is derived from the verb root kaleo, which means to call. That is a good definition of the church. We are the called. In fact, Romans 8.28 wonderfully defines the assembly of believers as the, quote, the called according to his purpose, end quote. We are a group summoned together by God for his purpose. We're not a human organization. We're not the result of man's ingenuity or power. We are not built by good religious people. Rather, we have been called by God into existence. So when we take a look and why I had mentioned that we're really excited that you all want to become members, is the church is growing. <clears throat> and, and I don't have to tell you, like, well, yeah, duh. You just take a look around and you see on the volume of people that are, that are attending It is not because we have smoke machines or any other design or our intellect or our strategy and how we're going to be able to do that is every single Sunday that we pray that eyes, ours, hearts, and those ears are open to God's word and to receiving it. And every time that it is being, the God's word is being taught is that it's not in our cleverness and our words and how we teach. It is but, but through God speaking through that person teaching. We, we pray that literally every single Sunday morning, 8.15, when we have elder prayer. Focus is not like we have the privilege of being under shepherds. We get to, now it's we, we've got to. 
So we get to participate in being a member of a church. And they're like, oh, I've got to. They're reluctant. I'm like, man, we get, we get the privilege of being able to do that. So A, used in specific New Testament sense in the church of God. And there's a lot of scripture reference. I encourage you, we're not going to go through every single one here, but I encourage you to go back and take a look and look at those references so you can see. So Acts 20, verse 28, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 1 Corinthians 10, 32, and then 1 Corinthians 11, verses 16 and 22, and then chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 1, 1, Galatians 1, 3, well, I'm sorry, Galatians 1.13, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 14, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, and then Romans 16, verse 16. All of those are on your outline, and why I'm saying that is because with the recording, then people can follow along and have those as well. But it, uh, so, so these scriptures, it refers to the community of those who have been called out by God from their slavery to sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And then there's more scripture reference here. Romans 1, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, Ephesians 4, 1, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, 2 Timothy 1, 9, 1 Peter 5, verse 10, and then Romans 8, 28. <clears throat> and there's a reference there from MacArthur and Mayhew in a book that they wrote, Biblical Doctrine, a Systematic Summary of Biblical Truth. All right, so the church is called out of what? Well, we're called, the, the church, we are called out of the world. So in John 17, 6, you follow along, should be, my notes are longer than, than yours, but you'll see in, in 2A1, John 17, 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Good morning. You can sign in, grab an outline and another sheet. We're glad that you're here. John 17, verses 14 through 18. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. In 1 John 2... Verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desire, desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the word for world, kos, moj, u, world, world order, universe, world inhabitants, mankind, especially men, and they're hostile to God. World, realm of existence, way of life, especially as opposed to the purpose of God, is the same used in this scripture reference of 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16. So we're in the world, we're in depraved, we are, we are sinful man, but it's through and being sanctified and renewed and regenerated when we have new life in Jesus Christ. 
When we know that uh, we are born again, <clears throat> is we are a new creature in Christ. It's where it's not the, well, I'm going to do this 90 degree and with repentance. Repentance is when you're walking one way and it is completely opposite and going the other way. You're shunning the world. You're shunning your sin. You're forsaking on where your past was. You're a new creature in Christ. You're moving forward. What does that look like? And so that's where of the world, we are not of the world if you are a true believer. So when we say that we are not of the world, we are still in the world, right? We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. You say, oh, Lord Jesus, you know, come. You know, I had just mentioned in closing, Maranatha, oh, Lord, come, right? We expect that. We look forward to that. But while we're here on earth, we still have to live in the world. But that doesn't mean that we're going to live like a pagan or an unbeliever. It is we want to live as a follower of Christ. You know, let your light shine. So those desires of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life, that's the world system. So if anyone says, oh, I'm a, I, I love Jesus and I'm a Christian, well, just because I walk into my garage doesn't then define me as I'm a car. Right? Just because you live in the United States, oh, well, this is a Christian nation. Well, as we know, the way United States is... I say in, in name only. Well, it's not Muslim, it's not Jewish, therefore, by default, it's Christian. Okay, well, yeah, there is that basic, say, core belief. But really is who is a true follower of Christ, including then is with the world system. And in some of these things, what you'll hear me say, I have used this term before, it's the litmus test. Well, anyone can say this, the actions, but then the audio and visual have to match up. You say, if you're a follower of Christ, but yet you have the desire of the flesh, you have the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of the things that the world wants and pursues. If you're doing that on a consistent basis, and you're like, okay, there's litmus tests, right? You know, the audio-visual isn't matching up. So we are in the world, but we don't want and we shouldn't be of the world. Follow? Yes, sir. All right. So in B, that you'll see, well, what are we called to do or to be? Well, we're called to be holy. B, we're called to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So who is our example? Christ, exactly, right? And like, hey, yeah, do this, but don't do that. Do as I say, not as I do. Man, that would be a, an awful representation. But as we know that God is holy, Jesus is holy, that is the standard. That is how we should be striving to because he's called us. The scripture doesn't say, well, when you feel like it, when you get around to it, or hey, every once in a while, show up to be holy. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's saying, you shall be holy for I am holy. So there's the standard. We all want and need to be moving in that direction. And that's all part of our sanctification process while we are here on earth. Yeah, we are all sinners. We are all depraved. But we should be moving in that direction to become more Christ-like. Each and every day, you take a look at who you are now. What are you like in a week from now, a month from now, 
a year from now, five years, 10 years, 20 years, you should be more Christ-like. This is not an overnight. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And how God designs trials, tribulations, I taught on that last Sunday uh, in 11 a.m. adult Bible study. We're going to have those. But through those, that's all part of our sanctification process as well. Matthew 18, 15 to 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's church, I talk about church discipline and how we need to be approaching sin. We're called to encourage, exhort, admonish one another. That's all of our responsibility. Hey, someone's in sin. Hey, Bruce, you're an elder. Here, you need to counsel these people. Well, sure, yes, you can do that, but it's on you as well. We're called to do that. And so if there's this going on under and behind the scenes each and every day, I can assure you, and by the time it gets to where that the elders are involved with that, I call that, uh, you know, DEFCON 4, DEFCON 5. <laughs> Everyone knows with that military term. You know, like, okay, this is serious, but in, a, in, another, uh, in another metaphor, it's, you know, if we're not doing that to encourage one another, and that's by design with, with church, if we're not doing that on that local basis, that's why it's so important with church and with fellowship, in, in having those relationships with each other, and that's why being part of church. Because if it is that DEFCON 4, that DEFCON 5, you say, okay, so it's the ninth inning, the bottom of the ninth inning, you're down by five runs, it's full count, there's two outs, and there's no one on base. And you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, we're going to do everything that we can because... We are, are wanting to do that. We need to do that. But what are those things that could have happened or occurred way back at that point from when it started? That's where all of us need to be encouraging one another. Like, you have to have the courage. You speak the truth in love, right? Like, hey, and you take that person aside and you go through those things. And again, this is what God's Word have to say. Amen. You know, another thing that I, I, I like to phrase, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, is like with chance or any of us that are teaching or preaching or for any of y'all that are using the scripture is like, look, you're just a milk truck driver, right? You didn't make the milk, you're delivering the milk, right? I didn't make the scripture, I'm just telling what, what does God's word have to say about it? Here's what God's word, we want to make sure that we do it in that proper context as well. All right, number three, it is the church of the Lord Jesus. And as we talked about, as a number of people were coming in the, in the room here, he's building it. It's not by our clever design and programs or anything else. All of it is by design is we want to honor him. We want to do everything according to his word. He's building his church. Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build the church, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So who is the head of 
believers fellowship? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, because in B, Jesus is the head. As the elders here at Believers Fellowship, we're the under-shepherds. But we still have the commander-in-chief, and that is Jesus Christ. It is his church. He is the head of Believers Fellowship, or any church, the universal church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See on your outline, the church is the bride of Christ. Revelation 21.9, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. It's referring to the church. Letter D in your outline, the church is his body. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, I mentioned that before, he put all things under his feet. He gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Colossians 1, 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. All right. Number four in your outline, implications for the church. Hein, the German philosopher, said, You show me your redeemed life, and I might believe in your Redeemer. Let me repeat that. You show me your redeemed life, and I might believe in your Redeemer. Well, we know the Holy Spirit is going to evict that heart. They're going to grant that person repentance. They can't do anything by their own strength. But it goes back to what I was describing earlier. Your audio has got to match your visual. If you're a true follower of Christ, well, do you live your life according to God's standard and ultimately in His Word and His commands? When people are like, man, you are different. What is different about you? There's that platform, that opportunity to share in the witness, share that gospel, and like, man, I am so grateful because I was a sinner, but here is how I've been redeemed and through Jesus Christ. You're able to share the gospel. So when we pray, oh, Lord, I pray for opportunities to share the gospel. (laughs) Man, that one is placed right on your lap. What are you going to do with it? But by humbly describing these things and living it, living it out, people will see that. But we also need to proclaim it as well. Right? We can't say, hey, yeah, you're the best you know, Bible that people are ever going to read right, by your actions. But remember, you, you have to share and utter the gospel as well. You want to live it. Again, the visual is going to match your audio. Right? That's where you want to make sure that it's correct. All right. In A, excuse me, 4A, members are not their own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Does anyone know uh, the the term doulos? What does doulos mean? Slave. You've been bought, and you think of slaves back in just in the historical context. There is a purchase. There is a price for that. 
And Jesus Christ paid that price for us. We are not our own. So as we are followers of Christ, it's like, I'm not my own. I am his. He needs to do whatever that he chooses to do with me and includes stewardship, everything. Everything that we say and do, like, I've been bought. I am now completely in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 17 to 19. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In 1 Corinthians 7, 22 and 23, For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Think of that doulos. You're a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. In B, you'll see in 4, we who are in the church are aliens. You know, we are talking uh, a little while ago, is, yeah, you're driving through Roswell, New Mexico, and yeah, that, we're not talking about that. We are talking about aliens being strangers and aliens. Remember, we are in this world, but not of this world. This is not our home. This is a temporary residence for what we live. And so for all the trappings, everything that the pursuit on what the world has or wants and the desires... You have, remember, the desires of the flesh, the eyes, everything. That's that worldly pursuit that we may have here. We're like, no. This is a temporary residence, right? We're aliens. So 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God. So strangers and aliens, but we're followers of Christ. Yeah, we're strangers and aliens in this world, but not of and in Jesus Christ. Right? That is where the cool thing is with church, and as we are in him, we are all not strangers and aliens in amongst ourselves. We are followers of Christ. We are united, and we belong to him. That's the cool thing. When we can say, you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, it's like, that is strong. That goes down even further and deeper than blood. You think of how many uh, family members that might not be saved. There's still that chasm, but where then when you have that relationship with a brother or sister in Christ, that is way deeper. Amen. C, and four, the church does hope. Romans 8.25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Part of my lesson last week is, oh, you know, we're going through trials and tribulations and we pray for patience. Oh, Lord, I pray for patience and I want it now. Mm. When you're going through a trial and tribulation, especially even living here on this earth, man, we go through things. John 16.33, Jesus promised that we will have trials and tribulations. Remember, this is a temporary residence. Lord, it will equip us. You're like, I can't do it on my own. Exactly. 
but with patience and with reverence and be able to do that. And like, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm working and walking by faith. That, remember, that's all part of our sanctification process for us to become deeper in the knowledge and in the image of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6.19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So we have hope in Christ. We're like, oh man, everything is not going well. While we rely and we fix our hopes on Jesus Christ. Because we also have to remind ourselves on that biblical truth too. Because when you're down... You're living in this world. You have all of these things. You could be oppressed at work. You could be oppressed by a neighbor. I mean, fill in the blank. You're like, man, well, how can I do this? Well, only through God and only through Jesus Christ can we. You imagine the power. If anyone can get their mind around this, well, then I really would like to speak to you. But can you ever get your mind around where in Genesis 1, where God just spoke something into existence? The power of that. So we have to remind ourselves of biblical truth to where if you have an amazing, omnipotent God that can speak something into existence, doesn't he have the power to equip you and to take care of those things that we're going through here on earth? Absolutely, emphatically. But we have to remind ourselves of that biblical truth, especially then when we're in the middle of undergoing a trial, or just living here on, on earth. First Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have hope in Christ. We have our eyes fixated on him. He is our hope. And in 4D, the church does not love the world. Remember, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We want and we need to be forsaking the world. I don't even find it to be dirty and disgusting and repulsive. That really should be our mindset. You know, like every time that I do closing, what do I what do I say at the end? Maranatha. Oh Lord, come. And like I enjoy my fellowship and relationships here on earth, but all these other things like, man, he has a, a place in heaven for me. You know, written in the book of life, or like, yeah, I'm going to miss a lot of people when I leave this earth. <laughs> like, man, I'm going to be praising the Lord, holy, 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 for eternity. Mm-hmm. And that place is going to be far better than what we have here. That is where we can't and shouldn't be fixated on this world, but on our heavenly place. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Remember, we have to remind ourselves of these biblical truths when we're going through these things, or you be lured, you be tempted on whatever that might be, fill in the blank, buy things of this world. Wait a second. That's a, that's a pretty harsh statement in James 4.4. 4. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And that's really a binary statement, yes or no. Like, if you're doing this, it's clear that you are an enemy of God. It's not kind of in between, well, what does this mean? There's a gray area. I mean, it is uh, this equals this. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, do not love the world. What are the things in the world? 
For if anyone, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's a scripture that we had mentioned earlier. In 4E, the church loves. Ephesians 6, 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. It's going to be that Maranatha, O Lord, come. Mm-hmm. All right, then five on your outline, manifestations of the church. All right, so what is the church? We can define that as local, but what is then with the A, the universal church? The universal church. The invisible church. So if we have believers that are in Uganda or in Russia or in Madagascar or in the Middle East, there's a lot of missionaries that Believers Fellowship uh, supports. Some of you all may support them on an individual basis as well. That is that universal church as well. This is amazing on, on how cross-culturally to where you can go visit a missionary in Uganda. They might be uttering something in their native language. You're like, I don't understand that. But then you can see if they're singing a song and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that one. And so your mind, of course, be thinking in English. But everything around that, when they open up the word, they might have, say, an English translation, but they're like, man, you have that deep tie with that brother or sister in Uganda if you're visiting them as you do here. That's the cool thing about God and the whole universal church. That's that invisible church. So, so the Catholic or universal church, so as Catholic, I'm not talking about that denomination here, all right? The universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect, that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and as the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And that's from the Westminster Confession. Millard Erickson, in Christian theology, quoted, the whole body of those who through Christ's death have been savingly reconciled to God and have received new life. It includes all such persons whether in heaven or on earth. I had referenced Jonathan Edwards and his 70 resolutions. And looking that up, I think that was when he did that was 1723. Man, you have a godly man like that or, or many others. Like, I can't, you know, to be in heaven, you know, with men like that, that's going to be amazing, whether in heaven or on earth. Well, we know that he, he is there. So to be able to proclaim and, and praise God's holy name, together while we're doing that from someone that was here 300 years ago. John MacArthur churched the body of Christ. He's quoted, The church is not a physical building, but a group of believers, not a denomination, a sect, or association, but a spiritual body. The church is not an organization, but a koinonia, which means a communion, a fellowship, one body, and included all believers. So that's where he's referring to it is a spiritual body. Yes, we have a building. Yes, this is where we congregate, where we assemble. But during the week, no one is here, and they're just buildings, right? 
There, there's just there's many churches that might meet in a in a school uh, on a weekend because they may not have something set up. Well, it's just a building. Okay, yeah, it's identified as a school. Yes, this believers fellowship, the camp is identified as a church, but as a building, this is the church. This is the universal body. This is this is what they are describing. Hebrews twelve twenty three, into the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge, of, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect. So in A, we talked about the universal church. We're going to talk about in B, local churches. So the local church, most common use of the word church in the New Testament, is to designate a group of believers that is identified as a local assembly or congregation. Thus there was a church in Jerusalem, Acts 8.1, Acts there's a church in Asia Minor, that's in Acts 16, verse 5. Another one in Rome, Romans 16, verse 5. In Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. And also 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1. A church in Galatia, Galatia 1, 2. In Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1. In the home of Philemon, and that was in Philemon 2. These early believers did not have special buildings in which to meet. Instead, they met in homes, as we had mentioned in Philemon and in Romans. The early believers came together for worship. And again, everything is, you go back and like, hey, this is what Bruce is saying. No, this is what Scripture says and where it's historically identified in there. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. There was fellowship that came together. Acts 2, verses 45 and 46. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, there was instruction. Acts 2, 42. Acts 11, verse 26. And in also 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17. But there's also one other ministry that they did, and it was such as sending out missionaries, and that was in Acts 13, verse 2. And also Acts 15, verse 3. And what was the ultimate result? It was that people were continually being saved in Acts 2, verse 47. So I also know the local church is designed to equip believers by feeding them through the teaching of God's Word. And that's Acts 2, verse 42, 1 Timothy 4, 13. Leading them in corporate praise and worship. Reference there, Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 20, and Hebrews 13, verse 15, protecting them under the shepherding oversight of godly leaders. And the scripture reference there is Acts 20, verse 28, Hebrews 13, verse 7, and Hebrews 17, verse 1, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, and a couple of others that the local church is designed to equip believers is providing them with opportunities to serve one another. So I'll go through that. There's a number of fill-in-the-blank there on your outline. The local church is designed to equip believers by feeding them through the teaching of God's Word, leading them in corporate praise and worship, protecting them under the shepherding oversight of godly leaders and providing them with opportunities to serve one another.
That's from MacArthur Mayhew's book, Biblical Doctrine, A Systematic Summary of Biblical Truth, page 747, Crossway. Acts 16.5, So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. We're strengthened in faith when we're focusing on foundational things. They say, keep the main thing the main thing. That is our desire. What is God's word? What does his scripture have to say? We want to be obedient to those things here at Believer's Fellowship. We don't have any control over what other churches do. We are entrusted, and our priority is what we are called to do here at Believer's Fellowship. Those are those things that we examine on a weekly basis, but then especially also on an annual basis. The elders have a retreat, and it's usually on a Friday night and most of the day on a Saturday. This is going to be coming up in February. This is what we do. We break off from our normal elder meetings. We meet on this coming Tuesday in with those meetings. But this is a special meeting that we have on an annual basis. And we take a look just from that higher scope of things. What are these things that we have implemented and, and instituted here at Believers Fellowship? for women's ministry, for lead, for um, Titus 2. There's all kinds of things that we do. Like, oh, yeah, hey, we need to do that. That's a great idea. This is where we take a look at these things on an annual basis. Say, what are, as the church is growing, are there needs, are those gaps? What do we need to do to make sure that we expand in or consider a ministry? On the upper opposite side of that is what are some things perhaps that might be doing like, yeah, no, that's that's not fruitful, not worthwhile. We're going to scale back on that and repurpose resources, efforts, and ministry into that. But that goes back to what are we doing making sure that every man is complete in Christ? Are we feeding? Are we teaching God's word? So all of these things that we have within Believer's Fellowship, you know, like, okay, how am I being fed? How am I being encouraged? How many ladies have been to a Titus II fellowship? Come on, you can raise those hands. All right, so were you fed? Were you encouraged? Okay, that, that's perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Lead. You've been the lead? Yes, sir. Were you fed and encouraged? Absolutely. Absolutely, right. So those are those other things is where when we have that discipleship and going through to equip men to make sure that they are leaders, what does biblical doctrine have to say about being that leader at home, in the community, in all of those things? That is that strategic and purposeful reason on why that we're doing lead on Wednesday mornings. Men, show up, 6.30. You can get there, hour, boom, in, out. Right? Every, every Wednesday, it's such an encouragement to see uh, faithful men be able to do that. Sometimes those schedules, it can be a challenge. But when you show up, you show up. And you're like, I'm so glad that I showed up because mm-hmm. of how that we're being fed and through that teaching of God's Word. Men's ministry. I mean, all of these areas and what we do and, and look and evaluate. So back to that elders retreat. Those are those things that we take a look at. What do we need to tweak? What do we need to increase? What do we need to decrease? What strategically, you know, in the direction on how we need to go as a church and believers fellowship. But look, we just, we look at this as we're, we're just stewards, right? God and Jesus is the head of this church, believers fellowship. We have the privilege of being able to lead in that direction. 
And so when people are like, hey, Bruce, you know, as elders, how can we be praying for you? Pray for purity, pray for unity, and pray for wisdom. Mm. You pray all three, like, oh, I forgot to put that one first. And yeah, pray for those three, because really categorically, that really can summarize everything. We want to make sure that we are pure in thought and motive in our hearts everywhere, all the way through our lives, right? Number two is then praying for that unity. As church, uh, Chance hasn't been preaching in Ephesians and with unity this last year. I forgot what he said. I'm kidding. <laughs> Chance is taught a lot in Ephesians and what we're talking about with unity within the church because there are factions. There have been factions. There are things that will be divisive based on people's agendas, a number of these other things. That's not healthy. That's not what God wants within church, his church and his body. And then also wisdom on things that we have to do with that instruction, with those, call it those programs, those initiatives. As we just acquired the property next door, there is a campus build-out. I mean, as, as we mentioned, the church is growing. So we're like, oh, we're going to build this fabulous building and we're going to have smoke machines, which we're not. <laughs> Let's be clear, we are not going to have smoke machines as strategically looking bored on music everything else. Mm, but what can we do to make sure that we accommodate in a variety of different ways? So even, even in, the, in the small little things, how many areas within on the campus are you able to have a one-off to sit down with a brother or sister? How many areas do you see just in that one little thing in and around with campus? There aren't many. You're like, man, hey, there's an empty classroom. Be able to get in there, right? But even strategically and having the wisdom, where do we need to literally even place those on campus? So then there can be that encouragement, that exhortation with one another to have that encouragement with a brother or sister or with a family. Whatever that might be, where is that going to be? All those little things, we pray for wisdom, so we ask for that. Nothing is too small. We want to make sure that we do it with excellence, and we do it to honor the Lord. It's not us and, I. we're going to build this great thing. We want to make sure we're good stewards with what the Lord has given to us to where then he will be glorified and going back to these things, feeding, teaching, leading in corporate praise and worship, protecting you guys. Making sure that with instruction, you know, we're making sure we give proper biblical instruction and wise counsel according to you know, what my thoughts and opinions are and, or my personal experiences. Sure, the Lord can use some of those things, but it's not any of those things that I might have if I'm giving biblical counsel to a couple that are struggling through their marriage or with a work situation. I mean, whatever that might be, is let's... We want to make sure that we give that proper instruction and counsel according to what God's word has to say. Those are those other things and what we do to make sure that you are equipped. And protection. A couple, three years ago, uh, the woke theology. Right, anyone familiar with that? Oh, yeah. During church membership, and so as you guys go through this whole process, that there will be a time to where then we'll do a meet and greet with the rest of the elders. The rest of the elders will introduce themselves. Hey, they oversee this, these specific ministries, and we'll go down the line. And then as part of this also, that we'll have, uh, say, hey, any, any questions that you might have you know, for the elders. It, it, we've had a lot of people in there at one time, but it's usually maybe from two all the way on up to, I don't know, 12 to 15 people. 
But a couple of years ago, there was an individual that asked, hey, what do you guys, where do you stand on, the, on this wokeness? <laughs> like, this is not scriptural. This is anti-God. Gave a number of reasons. Like, no. So those things is that protection and that shepherding oversight to making sure what are theories, what are things that could be kind of hanging around in the world and or other churches that could be encroaching and coming into believers' fellowship. Those are those things, as a shepherd, we need to be looking over and say, wait a second, this is a trend, be able to do that, how are we going to be able to respond to that? Another situation or example is to where um, then that it, it, uh, when you take a look at these solas all the way around, do you believe by grace alone and God alone, Mm -hmm. through faith alone, by scripture alone, sola scriptura, and by solo Christo upon Christ alone, do you believe that with counseling that it should only be purely from from what God's word has to say to be equipped? Or do you believe, oh, hey, we can add some psychology and what the world has to say about that as well? Those are some of those things just from the psychological standpoint. Oh, well, you need to have a little bit of that or more of that and a little bit of scripture and then call that biblical or Christian counseling. Absolutely not. So we have to know, and just as elders, and when we're shepherding with that oversight is what Excuse me, what are those trends? What are those things that are out in the world that, and they have encroached into this church and to where then we are working behind the scenes and spending hours with people, even on one-on-ones, to speak the word and truth, speak the truth in love, and to where then gently admonish, like, no, we're not doing that. And to where then it could be an agenda on, on someone's part, and, and where then eventually that they leave the church. But in the middle of that, I guarantee you that there's factions and there's divisiveness. Those are those things that we want to make sure that we oversee and we protect on that too. Because if that's a trend with an individual or with a couple or whoever that might be, is we speak with them and like, no, you've been warned, again, scripturally, here you've been warned, there's the door. That's, we want to honor God and his word. That's how serious, it's what we need to do. And if we're not, then we are uh, delinquent uh, in in our duties as church leaders and, and as elders. So providing them with opportunities to serve one another as well. When I was making copies for this, I don't remember the individual's name, but um, he was getting his vest on to go do the parking lot ministry. You're like, oh, really? Parking lot? I don't want to sign up for that. It's really cold out today. That is a vital ministry to be able to make sure we get as many cars in and efficiently parked as possible in a very timely manner so people can be on time and in here to hear God's word. Amen. That is a huge ministry, and I mm-hmm. thank them for that. It's those little things behind the scenes and detail. Like, it's, oh, I got to serve. No, we get to serve. Because every time that we serve, it is an act of worship to our God. It is a privilege to be able to serve. He could do that. We can hire staff, whatever that might be. And like, man, for us to be able to partake in that is amazing. What a huge blessing. All right, so, in, yeah, I had mentioned Acts 16.5. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. We have our fiscal year that goes from June all the way through May. And so we're about a little more than halfway into the year. 
I don't, the only way we measure, like, well, we know that the church is growing. We're not interested in numbers, right? Oh, hey, we're seeker for, we are not interested in that. Anyone that's been around this church for a while, that is our MO. We're not interested in those numbers. We're going to make sure that as numbers in the church continues to grow, what do we need to do and going back to feeding, equipping, all of those other things. So by doing that also, that we need to make sure that we, um, yeah, the, in, the numbers in the increasing daily. So because we don't have those numbers yet this year, <clears throat> the church, Believer's Fellowship has grown 45% in the last three years. Now these numbers do not include from June of 23, and then when we finish up in May, we'll just take a look at that. Well, what are, what are members, what's attendance? We're just trying to see engage because as the church is growing, like, yeah, here we are in our classroom, but yet this is storage too because there's not enough room for a kitchen, right? We've got how many coolers, how many buckets, you know, waters. We're thankful that we do have the space, but like, it's getting a little, <laughs> not much elbow room left. We're going to make sure that all of these things are what we're doing to make sure back to those uh, general, general, uh, ideas and those definitions. <clears throat> Romans 16:5 Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2 to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours. And I mentioned this in Revelation 1.20, is for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right, so we know what are and what is the church made up of. Church is made up of believers, of followers of Christ. So C, in your outline, the church is not made up of unbelievers. So in Matthew 13, 24 to 30 is the parable of the weeds. I'm just referencing that. I encourage you to go back, read that scripture, meditate on that. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? So it's not only in marriage, but it's with church as well. So let's just say randomly that you have an unbeliever and come in that he's a corporate CEO. He's brilliant in leading thousands of people. So from business strategy, business execution, growth, all of those things, like, man, this guy's really brilliant. Oh, yeah, we need to have them as part of, you know, church leadership and everything else. No, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. Why? Because the church is made up of believers. believers. Exactly. So the light and the darkness, it's why it can't be equally yoked. What we do want to make sure is that we encourage people to hear the gospel that may not be believers, we want to invite them in so they can hear the word. We need to make sure that we're preaching, we're following up in sharing that gospel with others. 
But the church is followers of Christ. It is the elect. Amen. God works through his people. Indeed, God works through his people. It's amazing on how he works through his people. God calls the church to him. Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles, and apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, have a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. In 1 Corinthians 11, 18 to 22, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Jesus is pictured, and in, in two you'll see, Jesus is pictured working through the local churches. And that's in Revelation 2 and 3. Revelation 2, 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and are found to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. And the other reference of going, I've mentioned this, Revelation 1, 11 through 20, with the seven, seven lampstands and the seven stars. So you think even within church, and I call it the audio and visual, but remember, there's wheat and there's tares. There's sheep and there's goats. So eventually that they will be weeded out, and that's where like, you can, we know we're going to have factions. We're going to have divisive people in and amongst us. That's going to be part of it. But that is where then the true believers will be recognized and knowing understanding and, and being faithful. All right, so the leadership of the church, number six, the leadership of the church. So, so here at Believer's Fellowship, and, and it's what by God's design, because there's scriptural support here, only recognizes two offices in the church, that of an elder and that of a deacon. So elder and deacon, those are the two offices within the church. All right, so A, what is the office of an elder? All right, so three words that refer to the office of the elder. So elders, overseers, or shepherds, and pastors, think teachers. So, so as I am an elder here at Believers Fellowship, I am. I didn't go to seminary. I call. I'm. I'm a a lay elder. You have a staff elder like Chance Hunt, Aaron Ives, Juan Camacho, Art Walkdorf, Tom Longway, Jason Adam, myself. We are lay elders. We do not have seminary degrees. However, we still are equipped to teach. Amen. So if you call, you come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Roos, I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to get offended like, oh, that's my, not my name. Because really with that elder and with that pastor teacher, that is kind of a synonymous, interchangeable um, name. Mm, okay. so, so don't, oh, i got to make sure. Just call me Bruce. You don't have to call me anything else. <laughs> you you want to call me Elder Roos? You can call me Pastor 
I don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm, I'm totally fine with all of that or with any of the other uh, men that are, that are here. So all three of these phrases and terms can be used, and you'll see in Acts 20, and it refers to the same office and person, right? So elders, overseers, shepherds, pastors, teachers, right? And it goes back into what we are uh, mentioning earlier in the outline is what are these things that we need to do as overseers of the church, say the direction, the oversight, we teach, we shepherd. All right, so as an elder, there's three New Testament titles for this office. I had mentioned this. They're used interchangeably. Episcopos, which is overseer. Presbyteros, elder or senior. Yeah, sometimes I do feel like I'm a... Senior <laughs> and and poemain, pastor or shepherd, and all three are used. All three of these are used for the same men. So, for in for example, in instance, Acts twenty verse seventeen, and Acts twenty, verse twenty eight, and that's Mark Dever. What is a healthy church? From Crossway Books, Acts twenty verse seventeen. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Mm. In Titus 1, 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what he's referring to, every town, is where there is a church, a local church, because they want and need that oversight, and that's where he wanted those godly men and leaders. So you can't do all of these things all on your own, as he's describing that. All right, there's a plurality of elders. You'll see in that number two, six, six a kind of letter two, there's, there's also a plurality of elders. All right, so what, what do we mean by that, a plurality of elders? So we have seven elders here at Believer's Fellowship. We all have equal say. We have different roles in what we do and oversee a variety of different ministries. But just because Chance has the pulpit ministry, and you're like, oh, well, he's the guy. He's the guy that has the pulpit ministry. <laughs> He's not the guy that has more power or more authority than any of our other elders. Amen. The plurality means, and the cool thing on that plurality is where then there's accountability for each of us. There isn't this MO someone might have. Let's just say one of the elders. Oh, I feel strongly about this, and this is how we're going to do it. And the other ones are going to sit there and you know, not do anything because that person might have more power or yielding more influence. No. I can assure you as chairman of the elders that we discuss things thoroughly. We look at all angles, meaning interpretation. What's your thought? What's your opinion? What are your ideas on these things? We camp out. I make sure that I hear because we've got a couple of elders that are on the quiet side. So for my job is to coordinate and run those meetings is... What do, you, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts? Because someone's going to be holding back and thinking like, I want to. I don't ever want anyone to say, oh, well, I didn't get a chance to share you know, my thoughts on that. You know, Out of love, out of respect, those are those things that we do because then every person has a unique perspective 
on and how what the Lord is putting on their heart and again and leading the church. Because if there is something to where, let's just say a general subject, and someone might say something, but then out of love, like, hey, you know, have we talked about that? All right, well, what about this? And so we work it out, we tease it out, and we're like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's not such a good idea. Let's go and move in this direction. And then it is also unanimous. When we come to a decision, it is 100% unanimous from our decision on that. If someone doesn't feel comfortable about that in, during our elder meetings or any of those decisions, we may park it, put that in the parking lot and say, hey, we'll come back to that and address that for that next month or that next meeting if there is a special meeting that we need to have. It is unanimous. So that plurality that each and every one of us, just because I'm a lay elder, like, well, I don't have the seminary degree and I don't have the um, biblical expertise that, say, Aaron or Chance does because of that training, doesn't put me and demean me any, make me any less of a person Amen. than where these guys are. That's the cool thing. And, like, it's, it, it's what we do. Um, it, we're not defined by that title. I mean, it's like, man, it's an honor, but it is a serious privilege and as a sovereign privilege as an elder because like I have oversight including six other elders for your spiritual care I'm going to be held accountable to that mm. man that is really important that's sobering like man that there's decisions and Laura can can uh, certainly attest to that to where we've had meetings and other stuff uh, one particular situation going on for two years and where our hearts are just heavy just discouraging. But then when uh, you have other opportunities, we're able to see on, on how people are growing in their faith. I had a conversation right before church service with a, a young man. It was a conversation we had just about sanctification months ago uh, at a men's uh, the barbecue. He said, Bruce, I was thinking about that, and, and here's how I've been able to respond, and here's how I'm growing. And I'm like, praise the Lord. And it's just, it's so cool. But back to the plurality of elders. All of us have that equal share of voice and things with that opinion. That is by design. So no one has a power usurping that. It is, we are all on that same page. And I can tell you that we are unified on and as an elder board. I can tell you that. There are literally every, at the end of every meeting that we talk about that, we just marvel at God's grace and what he has done here at Believer's Fellowship and how we are all unified in that whole mindset and what we want to do in moving forward. No one has a personal agenda about one particular topic. Is that someone might be passionate about something, but then we, we flesh that out. It's really amazing. All right, so qualifications for an elder. And we'll go through... Um, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Honey, do I have any other wives? Okay, all right, good. Not you're aware of. Yes, the answer is emphatically no. My bride of 37 years, I'm blessed. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall in the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." You say, okay, well, that's pretty cool that we have those qualifications for an elder and the qualifications of a deacon as well. But really, every person in this room, I encourage you to go back into that scripture. When you take a look at that, that is really our mandate for each and every one of us to aspire to. We should be noble. We should be above reproach. We should be a husband or a wife of our mate. We should be sober-minded. We should be self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. By the way, if you have kids, you're a teacher. Right? Well, yeah, I can't teach. Yes, you can because you are entrusted with that um, even within your own household. Not, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. All of these are really that standard Okay, well, that's what being recognized as an elder and or with a deacon, but that is what all of us should be aspiring to. That's what Scripture says. Titus 1, 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might be put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer... As God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy of gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, so the office of deacon, as we're finishing up here all right so we've got elders we have deacons we have a deacon board of 25 plus so what is a deacon a deacon and their duties take care of the physical and logistical needs of the church so the elders can concentrate on their primary calling so for us to be doing behind the scenes things the deacons do all of those behind the scenes things so who opens and closes the church each and every week the deacons do. There's a lot of things behind the scenes that you guys may not even be aware of, but they take care of those things. The Agape Fund, they take care of, they're entrusted with the Agape Fund. They oversee that. They oversee the widow's ministry. We're called to take care of widows and orphans. They oversee that. So a lot of those things to where then we can be focusing on these other things, that's where we want to do those things well, we want to do them with excellence, then they know and with their role and what they are entrusted to do so i don't call it grunt work but they get to do it and it's a joy to be able to serve and it's a privilege to be able to do that they are they're amazing amazing team they again have that privilege to be able to serve in that capacity and so then it's not only well i'm in charge of this ministry no you want to get people alongside you and to where then you you teach instruct where's that timothy you get that other helper. You get that other person. It goes back into where and how can we serve. There might be deacons that might ask you, hey, need for you to serve in, in this capacity. 
We're going to talk about that <clears throat> later. So the qualifications are very similar. Uh, a deacon as to an elder. Deacons likewise must be dignified. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, not sober mind or but sober minded. <laughs> yeah, you, you caught that. <laughs> I caught myself too. Like, whoa, I gotta, I gotta go back here. But sober minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith. That is in Christ Jesus. All right, so really, what then is the difference between an elder and a deacon? The qualifications are literally identical, but let me get down into a little bit more. So elders teach or preach the word and shepherd the souls of those under their care. That is one of those main things, to be able to preach and teach the word. Now, we do have deacons that some of them are amazing teachers. They are equipped to be able to do that, and they do teach as well. Will some of those perhaps be elders in the future? Yes. And that is where we are working on discipleship in that manner, just like when the deacons are working on their discipleship and to where then all of us should be working on those Timothys in that discipleship as well. So that scripture on there, Ephesians 4.11, 1 Timothy 3.2, 1 Timothy 5.17, Titus 1 9 and Hebrews 13 verse 17. But deacons too, they've got a crucial role in the life and the health of the local church, and as it described, that their role is different than elders. The biblical role of deacons is to take care of the physical and logistical needs of the church, so we can, as elders, focus on our primary calling. And that distinction is based in that pattern found in Acts 6 in the first six verses, one through six. The apostles were devoted to prayer in the ministry of the word, verse four. Since that was their primary calling, seven men were chosen to handle more practical matters in order to allow the apostles the freedom to continue with their work. So this division of labor is similar to what we see in the offices of elder and deacon. Like the apostles, the elder's primary role is one of preaching the word of God. And, and teaching it. Like the seven, deacons serve the congregation and whatever practical needs may arise. That is the first part that we have. Next week, we're going to go through uh, the second of our three, and that's going to be called Exploring Life in the Church.